Please, let's stay just a few more minutes with God and talk to him in prayer, can we? Father God, thank you. We do bless your name. We want your name to be exalted and lifted up. There is no one like you. You are the great God, the creator over all things, the sovereign God of the universe and of the ages, from eternity past to eternity future. There is no end. You are the same today, yesterday, and forever. And our Father and our God, we want to acknowledge that and lift up your name and praise you and thank you for everything that you have done for us. Thank you for our salvation that has been granted to us through Christ Jesus who died for us. Oh, Father, please receive from us this time of adoration and praise as a sacrifice from us because we love you, because you first loved us. Not because of anything righteous that we have done, but because of your mercy, O Lord. Thank you for being merciful to us sinners. We praise you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. One thing James, the pastor of Jerusalem, learned early in his church leadership is that the fairest Lord Jesus didn't always have a fine-looking bride. The body of Christ. The church can get really ugly, warp speed fast. Anyone who has had anything to do with the history of the church or in even your own history, probably know that church can be the best of times and it can be the worst of times. And by the way, it's not because of Jesus. Jesus is the same today, yesterday, and forever. There are several irrefutable realities about these things that I want to share with you this morning from God's Word. When a church is communing heavily... And in whole, in the context of Christ, and I mean individual members and collectively, the choices for our conduct are in fact coming from heaven itself. It is good. It is very good. In fact, in that context, when God's people are on full, working in full cylinders, full blast with Christ, The gates of hell cannot prevail. But when the individual hearts of God's people cut loose from heavenly moorings or from constant communion with Christ and trade in that communion for connecting with the earth, with the unspiritual, with the physical and lower, it is not good. In our heart of hearts, from person to person at Calvary Baptist Church, I know that we long to produce and be part of the right ways of God. I know that. We long for it to be all about Jesus. A key issue, as James surveys some of the speech carnage in his church, for him, is determined to be where, in fact, you are sourcing your decision-making capabilities. Where are you going to seek counsel? Where are you going to seek advice in life? 
As far as James is concerned, by your behavior, he already knows. Would you turn in your Bibles to James chapter 3 this morning as we complete chapter 3 together. We talked last week about the dangers of the tongue. It's a fire. It's set on fire by hell itself. It's a restless evil. Though it's small, it can do a great deal of damage. We talked all about that. The same instrument that praises God, curses men, made in the image of God. This should not be, brothers, James says. And then he continues this way in verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? And as always with James, show me. Let him show it by his good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, which as far as he he was concerned, was the explanation for why there were tongues of fire in his congregation. And I don't mean in a good way. Do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such Wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual of the devil. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere, peacemakers who sow in peace, raise a harvest... Of righteousness. This is the text, and the question that he asks is Who is wise and understanding among you? The bottom line for this text, in terms of summarizing the argument, the target of the day, as far as James is concerned, what he wants to present to us this, this morning from God's Word, is a harvest of righteousness. How do you get a harvest of righteousness? The contrast that's set up in this text is every evil practice versus a harvest of righteousness. They are diametrically opposed. And they come from different sources. And the bottom line for church effectiveness, for healthy church ministry and mission, is all about finding our way to a harvest of righteousness versus every evil practice. He's not setting up a contrast here, by the way, between the people of the world and the people of the church. He is setting up a contrast within the church. He's making the point that there is stuff in the local church that is not producing righteousness. It's producing just the opposite. So I always find it's good to find out what the target is, what do you want to accomplish, and then try to work your way backwards and get there. And I think that's what James is doing here for us. Because to have a harvest of righteousness in the text, you have to plant peace. And to have peace to plant, you must have the irrigation of wisdom from above. And you can know whether the wisdom is from above or from the earth by what seeds you have to plant. Disorderly seeds of self-centered contention... Or peace seeds of self-giving goodness. There are two seeds in the church. These two represent everything there is. Disorderly seeds that are self-centered. Or peace seeds of self-giving goodness. In fact, that's the way righteousness grows. 
And when we talk about righteousness, we're talking about the reign of Christ, the rule and reign of Christ, the way righteousness grows so that the reign of Christ and his redemption presides over your whole situation is by sowing peace into everything. From James' perspective, unrighteous speech problem is really a bad harvest issue that comes from a bad seed planted, which issues from bad wisdom choices. To, go, to grow good speech and good behavior, you have to plant peace seeds. And you can only get them from heaven. By the way, peace, as it's defined, the word shalom in Hebrew, very important word to God's people down through history, is to be whole, to be healthy, and to be complete. You can't have any of those things outside of Jesus Christ, the relationship with God. That's why he's called the Prince of Peace. It's the state, by the way, that accompanies the presence of God through communion. We acted out a picture of our relationship with Christ at the communion table this morning. A representation of, of what is required to be in communion of Christ. It's, it's, it is required of us to have embraced the sacrifice of Christ on our behalf. He shed his blood. He went to the cross on our behalf as a substitute. That's what we enacted this morning as a remembrance of of how we acquired salvation and peace with God. And to have that peace with God and what that peace looks like is, is by the accompanying, ongoing communion with Jesus Christ. You can't cut yourself loose from those moorings and have peace. James says, I can look at your life and I can look at how you're relating to your brothers and sisters and I can tell you whether or not you have peace in your life. I can tell you whether, what source you're choosing for wisdom, for life direction. I can tell you. Jesus wants to turn us into peace-planting beings so the right ways of God will dominate every setting that you're involved in. In fact, um, if we understand this, we will understand the process by which you become productive from the very beginning of your relationship with Jesus Christ. This whole picture of, of the seeds and the planting of seeds and all that goes on. Earlier in the text, we learned that James described the uh, application and welcoming of the word of God into your life like a seed planted in your life. In James chapter 1, verse 21, he says, Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept The word planted in you, which can save you. And what we are learning here as we continue on in the text is this. He's he's really saying, here's how the saving seed of God's word grows up in you, grows you up so that you can have peace to plant everywhere you go. How? You have to get wisdom and understanding. And you have to get it from the right place. If you do, it will show. That's what he says here. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Not just with their mouths, but with their lives. 
he talks here about the need to marry truth and application. That's what wisdom and understanding as a couplet is implying. The marriage of truth and application. Let me give you a few definitions. Wisdom is to know what is good and how to do it. Understanding is to see how good wisdom is in action and to know why it is good. Both of these are married. By the way, James is leaning heavily on the book of Proverbs here. In fact, the first nine chapters of Proverbs are distilled in a most amazing way right here for us. He's obviously leaning on the lifestyle that he witnessed from his own brother, the Lord Jesus Christ, and the, writer, and, and, and the Proverbs, the wisdom writings of the Scriptures. Now, let me take, for instance, an example so we can understand how this really fleshes out in life. An example of a, of a couple of verses that are probably life verses for many people in the congregation here. Proverbs, five, or Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. How many people really, they really dig those two verses? Those are really something that really kind of steers your boat. Proverbs 3. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And lean not in your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him and... He will, whichever translation you're using, either direct your paths or make your, make your paths, direct your ways or make your paths straight. Now let me show you how this works. The wisdom, knowing what is good, is trust in the Lord. That's wisdom, to know it's good. The fool says in his heart there is no God. Wisdom trusts in the Lord. And how to do it? How do I trust in the Lord? In all my ways. I cut him in on the deal. I acknowledge him. I go to him. I commune with him. I don't lean on my own understanding because it'll let me down. It'll steer me wrong every time. And so that's how to do. And when I trust in the Lord with wisdom and in all my ways acknowledge him and don't lean on my own understanding, uh, then understanding kicks in because then I can see how good wisdom is. Because I get to see that he's directing my paths. He's, he's making my, or my ways. He's making my paths straight. He's, he's filling in the valleys and lopping off the hills. And, and when I see, I see why, why is it good to trust the Lord? And why is it good to acknowledge him? And why is it good to not lean on my own understanding? Because he directs me in good ways. And when I do that, when I marry wisdom and understanding, which is what James is talking about, from heaven, from above, when I do that, I, I, I apply wisdom, I accept wisdom, I welcome wisdom from God. And when I welcome wisdom from God, I understand its value in my life, and, and I see why it's good, and that motivates me the next round to again apply wisdom. And then I get to understand again, yeah, that was the right thing to do. That was the right way to go. And it becomes a circular event in my life of how I grow, how Jesus grows me up, and how I become a planter of peace for harvest of righteousness. The problem with all of that 
in the church setting or becomes a problem is when we choose not to seek wisdom from above. See, he makes the point here in verse 14, but if your lifestyle, if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth because, in fact, you're not dealing in the truth. So don't try and pass it over on anybody that, hey, man, this is the way to live. It's working for me and all of this. It's got to be true. No, you're just denying the truth. Such wisdom, quotation marks, does not come down from heaven. In fact, it has three characteristics to it. It's earthly, it's unspiritual, and it's of the devil. There are two places to pursue wisdom. You just can't go shopping for it like it's some sort of commodity. It's all about choosing the context in which you prefer to commune. It's all about how you decide what will be your friendships. Will you be a friend of God as we sang this morning? I am a friend of God. I am a friend of God. Or will you tend to be inclined to be a friendship of the world and the values of the world? That makes all the distinction in the world. By the way, we're not talking about isolating ourselves from ministry and mission. We're talking about What atmosphere, what set of values is governing the direction of your life? What are you choosing to prioritize? Are you friending it up with God and the people of God? Or are you the friend of the world and the people of the world's values? The wisdom of the world, as one writer defines it, is the, pers- the pursuit of which is dominated by self-interest, the desire for wealth, and the desire for status. If the guidance counseling of your life is predominantly from co- common garden variety wisdom that's grounded in physical strategies or the crowd or, or the culture around you, what everybody else is doing, or, or non-Christian friends, then you're going to have a problem in your life. And by the way, it's going to be very obvious when you're in community. He says, the wisdom of the world is, that's what it says in the text, is earthly, is unspiritual, is of the devil. Now let me just take that apart for a few moments, those three things. Get a picture of what it might be like in our lives if, if we're uh, fishing out of that pond. Wisdom as earthly means that I'm fundamentally going to be grounded in the issues of material, physical, and temporal. It's going to be all about stuff, feelings, and now. Pragmatics. It works. I don't care if it's right, it works. That's earthly wisdom. Stuff is important. Now is important. My feelings are important. And if it works, it's important. But it's earthly. It can also be, and generally the three are together, it's unspiritual. What's the problem there? Well, that means it's devoid of anything that can rescue you from yourself. Now, I suspect a whole lot of you are 
grew up in the kind of same setting that I grew up in church. In church, at least this is what I picked up, and it was probably not presented this way. It was probably not taught this way, but for some reason, this is how I picked it up. That that to be a a great Christian and and to be really separate from the world meant we just had to, to ban bars, bazaars, betting, bingo, blackjack, and ballrooms. If we could get rid of the killer bees in our lives, if we could just, if we could just boycott the social behavior of the other side, then we'd be really, really excellent Christians. The problem with all of that is it didn't do one bit of work on the inside. And the problem with unspiritual strategies, which they are. And by the way, I'm not, I'm not throwing you over to the dark side and saying, hey, it would be better if you did that. No, I'm not saying all that. But, but unless the strategy is dealing with the fundamental issue and fundamental problem of our lives, which is me, selfishness, that only spiritual warfare can take care of, I'm just mining out of the wisdom of the world. And and that's why there's so many frustrated Christians out there say, well, the seed of God's word that was planted in my life, it's not producing a harvest of righteousness. No, because the harvest of righteousness has to come from a planted piece of Christ in you. We learned to judge the sins of everybody else while we puffed up what we really needed to learn how to kill, which was ourselves and our selfness. Physical choices alone require zero spiritual work, it's unspiritual. And and so. We wonder why we have a me-first-only orientation. In spite of the fact that we've boycotted the social, cultural, dark things of the other side. It's because we're still looking at all of life from a perspective of, this is best for me, this is what I really need, this is what makes me happy, I have to think about what is right for me. And so we spend our lives medicating our addiction to ourselves. If you want to see that acted out on the TV screen, day in and day out, check out interviews with Charlie Sheen. That's a life sadly and totally given over to selfness. Everything that comes out of his mouth that isn't totally bizarre, is at best wisdom of the world. And you know what it produces? (laughs) You see what it produces in his life? Bitter, envy, selfish ambition, every form of disorder, and every evil practice. 
it produces. That that does not, does not please God. And much of it is actually demonic, James says. Demonic means it totally opposes what God is about. I can tell you something God is not for. He is not for bitter envy and jealousies and rivalries and, and, and jockeying for position and status and rebellious backbiting and fueling suspicions and, and, and character assassinations and gossiping. God is not for that. God is not about that. That's demonic. It produces a warehouse of bitter jealousies and nasty rivalries and self-seeking power struggles and evil chaos. And James is talking about the church. It's bad when Charlie Sheen is like some people who call themselves Christians. We can understand why he is like that. He needs the Lord. But we have him. James says, no. um, Can I suggest something different to you? Than your little groups and posses and gangs. In fact, um, one writer says this, when believers return to the way of demonic wisdom, they express sins that even the world has not learned. Can you imagine? That's what, that's what James means when he says every evil practice. He, he says the stuff that is unimaginable can happen in the church setting when you cut loose from the moorings of wisdom from heaven. But here's the alternative in verse 17. Here's where you get it. Here's what it comes with. And here's what you get when you have this. But the wisdom that comes from heaven, okay, there's where you get it. There's no other place. The wisdom that comes from heaven is described a certain way. It comes in a package deal. It comes with... with a, Depending on how you number this and define it, six or seven or more kinds of characteristics that interestingly describe our God. It comes with pure, it comes as pure and, and peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy, unwavering, sincere. The wisdom from above is the influence and the impact of God that expresses his character through earthly behavior for his glory. It grows from the inside out. You get it from heaven. You get it inside and it grows out. You can't do this from the outside. The decisions here are from God. His wisdom is, first of all, pure. It's not tainted by base vices. It doesn't have mixed motives about Jesus. What what God delivers to you in his wisdom is pure. It's 24 karat. It's, It's the real stuff. There's no impurities to it. There's nothing tainted in it. You don't have to be concerned about it that maybe this isn't going to work. It's peace-loving. It means it's unity-protecting. A church is committed to unity. It protects, always protects, protects, protects. 
It eliminates rivalries. It eliminates factions. It eliminates gangs and posses. You can't have five or six people over here taking sides against five or six people over here. You can't have arms folded and not being willing to to, to bond together in communion. You come and sit at the table of the Lord. We together are declaring that we're in communion with Christ and in communion with each other. It was in the context of that communion in 1 Corinthians that Paul said, you guys aren't actually doing the Lord's table because you're not in communion with each other. And if we aren't, we aren't aren't doing communion. We can go through the motions. We can drink the the juice and, and eat the bread. But we aren't actually doing communion if we aren't in communion with the Lord and with each other. So get rid of it. It's considerate. Which means it's gentle. It's life without the edge of harshness and damaging anger. It's submissive. Which means a willingness to yield to authority and truth. Not passively. Like, oh, well, you know, I just sit back and whatever. No, it's it's an intentional choice to submit to those that God puts in charge, and to his word, which is truth. It's full of mercy, which, by the way, always brings forth good fruit. Just like the Lord is full of mercy, forgiving, generous, righteous. It's, it's, it's described as empathy with hands and feet. I combine those two because... Mercy and good fruit are connected in the text. They go together. They're a package deal. I can't say I'm merciful, but there's no good fruit in my life. And there's another package deal here, impartial and sincere. And I've, I've calling it unwaveringly sincere. It means a singleness of heart, integrity that promotes security. You don't have to wonder about the actions of a person who has this wisdom. Wherever they are, they're the same. You don't have to, be, you don't have to feel insecure about, uh, about what they're going to be like or what they're going to say or how they're going to act, what they're going to believe. It's fixed. Versus all the antisocial behavior that he's talking about. And, and when you commune, full blast, wisdom from heaven... It produces planters of peace. Everywhere you go, you're planting peace, planting peace. And a bounty of right actions is harvested. Isn't that good? I mean, why not just turn from all this other so-called stuff, wisdom, And turn to heaven. It's a key to a healthy church. A vital mission. Great ministry. A loving contact text that models for those who are lost what Christianity really is. Now, by the way, let me just be quick to say, this is not about getting along just to get along. It's not about forced capitulation to, to group think. It's not what this is. 
It's not about refusing to confront bad or misguided behavior so everything will remain calm. That's not what this piece is. It never compromises integrity or any other form of righteousness or justice or truth, ever. And it's not about chasing away maverick thinkers who, or those who have opposing ideas. That's not what this piece is about. This piece is about ending your self-centered posturing for position and status and petty rivalries and divisiveness and gangs and posses and church politicking. Let there be no bitter jealousy or selfish ambition among you. That's what this is about. This is a call from God to us to specialize in being planters of peace so that we'll realize a harvest of God's redemption and reign. We pray the Lord's Prayer. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. But how? Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Thy kingdom, we're, we're calling, in that prayer, we're calling on the kingdom reign of Jesus Christ, the rule and the reign of Christ to come and be among us, to be about us, to be about our settings, wherever we go, wherever we take the mission, to be here. But you don't get it. Unless... Thy will is being done in your life, your heart, your setting. Wisdom from heaven. Wisdom from heaven produces peacemakers who sow peace. Described that way in the text. And produce a harvest of the right ways of Christ growing up everywhere. Well, I think that we all understand the significance of this internally. Among ourselves. We understand the the value of a healthy church, if for no other reason. Then it's just great to come together. Who wants to come to a place where there's bitter jealousies and selfish ambition and and all kinds of disorder and every evil practice? Who would want to gather with that? So, So just internally it's creates a very healthy and warm and happy and fun place. But there's a much bigger cause for all of this. Not the least of what, which is what God is doing in our lives to actually transform us, but what he is doing to enable us to be about mission, to be about ministry beyond ourselves. How much does this matter? You'll recall that a few months ago we put out a challenge to evangelize our city and the adjoining city with the Word of God. We were going to place in the buses, the transit system of Durham East, panels that have the Word of God and, and, and ministry connections and 
and, and, and various mission of Calvary Baptist Church and simply the Church of Jesus Christ. Well, I would submit to you that if our hearts are committed to the mission, then, in fact, we have to have a new commitment to be people who are peacemakers, who plant peace so that a harvest of righteousness will spring forth. You watch this video. This morning as we conclude our time together, we're going to, we're going to receive another offering. Don't get nervous. Don't reach for your wallets. It's a different kind of offering. We're going to offer ourselves to the Lord this morning as peacemakers, planting peace that we might see a harvest of righteousness. The visual for our offering is coming forward right now. Guys, come on forward. Remember we put before you a dream a few months ago. Imagine the word of God in the buses of Oshawa and Curtis and, and, and Whitby. Remember we put that before you? And God laid it on your hearts to respond. And you responded very, very generously. Yesterday, panels just like this have gone up in every single bus in Curtis, Oshawa, and Whitby, the East Durham region. And on the streets and the roads of our cities, every day, the Word of God is available for people who God chooses to intersect. Now, you remember back in September when we as a church family just believed God was laying on our hearts to, to stretch the tent and the footprint and lengthen the stakes and strengthen the, the cords? Do you remember that? And we did a visual outside. We went out in the lawn in front of our church and told our community that God cared about them and we cared about them and we were going to make sure that they knew that God cared about them. And so God has given us amazing opportunities that he's just been opening up for us and granting us favor. I don't know if you know this, but, but we've been working with some of the public schools around here, just ministering to them and, and helping out and just, just being God's hands and feet. Pastor Calvin and, and uh, Rebecca have spearheaded a lot of ministry with our children's ministries in that area. And, the, and we've, we've been granted favor by the Board of Education and the principals of those schools to pass out these to every public school kid, talking about our Spark Soccer Camp and our Adventure Day Camp has gone home to homes in every one of those public schools. You know that, maybe you don't know, that the amazing work that God's been, been favoring us with in terms of high schools and, and uh, the impact groups. And, and one of our own kids here... Uh, Sarah Powers started an impact group in, in Curtis High School. And Pastor Dwayne has been working with the impact group at Eastdale High School. And that's becoming uh, increased ministry. And there are others of, around the city, but those we, we've been involved in. And you know that, that the college and the university has become a, a vision and a mission of ours to go there and, and, and teach. And there we were on the radio on Friday uh, proclaiming uh, God to the, to the campus. And... and uh, and God is continuing to give us opportunity. And now the bus stop ministries that are going out. But church, I, I feel passionate about this. All of these things will only be energized by God's Spirit 
if God's people are right with him, if we're right as a community of faith together, we can send out all this paperwork and we can put all these visuals up and we can, do, we can work hard physically, but unless this is a spiritual exercise by God, nothing of eternal value is going to come out of this. Now, God's word says this, peacemakers who sow in peace will harvest righteousness. That's a promise. I, I want to claim it as a congregation. I want, I want you to stand up this morning as we close together. And, and as a congregation, I want to make a commitment and a covenant together with one another that we are going to commit to the Lord to be a place that embraces the wisdom of heaven, that we will get that peace of God, that we will share it with one another, we will plant it everywhere we go as we continue to plant, and that we will believe God for a harvest of righteousness. I'm going to ask you to join hands everywhere. We need to make this a solid commitment everywhere. Nobody should, a a full-scale link all the way around the congregation. I'm going to pray this morning. And uh, Jeff, you're going to have to let that thing go and hold my hand, buddy. I know that's a big stretch for you, but you can (laughs) grab Jen right there. All across the aisles, let's, let's join up all the way across. Stretch. Let's make sure that this is not a broken chain. We don't want any bad visuals in here this morning. Are we all set? We're all hooked up here? All right. Let's, let's deliver this to God, our commitment to Him, as we dedicate this bus stop ministry started yesterday for this next year. Who knows what God is going to do? The Refuge, the Pregnancy Help Center, our university campus. There's website information there. There's phone numbers. There's the Word of God. There's explanations. There's questions, probing questions. Who knows what God is going to do with this? But it must come from sincere hearts that commit to Him to be peacemakers together, embracing wisdom from heaven, discarding and saying goodbye to wisdom from earth, that we'll sow peace and harvest righteousness. Our Father and our God, today we stand together united in this cause. Not because of any other reason than, Lord, we believe in you. We love you. We want your word to, to penetrate hearts. We want people to come to know you. We want to see broken lives brought to wholeness. We want to see people transformed. Father, we want to see homes that are in destructive behavior turned into places of blessing and harvests of righteousness. Lord, we want to see marriages that are breaking come back together. We want to see kids who are kicked out of homes get invited back to their homes and the whole home be transformed in the name of Christ. Father, we want to see people addicted to substances become uh, passionately committed to you and to say goodbye uh, to those things that are ruining their lives. Father, we want to see those who've had a, a tepid relationship with you, confronted with the word of God, and perhaps a probing question that you want to penetrate their hearts with and bring them back to yourself. Father, we want to see prodigals who have long ago wandered away from you, brought back as a harvest of righteousness. And so, Lord, as we commit today, I pray that you will make this place a place of wisdom, this community a place of heavenly wisdom, that we will be peacemakers, sowing in peace, no bitter jealousies, no selfish ambitions, no disorder, no every evil practice, but harvests of righteousness, the rule and the reign of Christ. Calling out to you, our Father, hallowed be thy name. You're the Holy One. May your kingdom come. May your will be done in our lives, I pray, Lord. 
And so, Father, I pray a blessing, a powerful blessing of the Lord on these initiatives for your honor and glory. Father, rescue the perishing as we pray for the dying. For Jesus' sake, amen and amen.